This is Diaspo. I'm Henri Kwepo. Our conversation today is with Dr. Mbu Winding. Mbu is a senior engineer and thermal analyst, and she currently works for the Raytheon Company in Texas. Mbu has a Bachelor of Science in Aerospace Engineering and Mathematical Science from the Florida Institute of Technology. Mbu also has a PhD or Doctor of Philosophy in Aerospace Engineering from the Ohio State University. While in graduate school, Mbu worked as computational fellow at the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, or NASA, and as a summer associate at the U.S. Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So this is an amazing background. And before we start, I would like you to tell our audience, what is aerospace engineering and what do you do on a daily basis as an aerospace engineer? Well, thank you for talking to me today, Henri. I'm really glad to be able to participate in this. And I think it's great that you guys are, you know, telling our stories and trying to show the path that a lot of us have taken to where we are now so that the people that are coming after us can have some guidance. Of course. Aerospace engineering is, you know, a branch of engineering that focuses on designing and building air vehicles. So that would constitute things like aeroplanes, helicopters, and space vehicles. So if you think about like the shuttle and other vehicles that take people and satellites into space. So there's a whole separate branch of engineering that takes care of all of that. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, it's very much like mechanical engineering. But in this branch of engineering, we care a lot about the particular shape of the things that we build and their weight because we want to make them very aerodynamic, basically easy for them to tear through the air when they fly. And we care a lot about their weight because when you design something to fly, you're concerned about the lift on it and it's easier for you to balance it and keep it up in the air Mm -hmm. if it's not super heavy. So yeah, aerospace engineering is concerned with all of that. We're concerned about their shape, like I said, for aerodynamic purposes. But a lot of the time, we're also concerned about the kind of environment that they would be experiencing right? and what kind of temperatures you expect to see. Mm-hmm. The temperature side is is what I focus on in general because you don't want things, the materials that you use to get too hot. Otherwise, you're going to, they're going to melt or things are going to start burning, right? If right. you think about it, a plane has an engine which gets hot. So we want to make sure that we're cooling its parts and and they're not getting hotter than they can handle. Mm -hmm. It also has electronic components that would get hot. So we find ways to cool them, similarly to what you would do in a computer, at least for this particular part of the plane. So there are a lot of different things that you can do in aerospace engineering. But thermal analysis is what I do, which is focusing on the temperatures of the components in the air vehicles. That's what I do right now. Okay. For my PhD, I focused a lot on aerodynamics, which was, um, again, more with the shape and making the plane better aerodynamically. Mm-hmm. Another thing that people do is the structure, uh, building the plane in a way that is going to be strong enough to withstand the forces that it would experience. Right. So you don't want it breaking mid-flight. You don't want your wing falling off right. halfway through your, your trip. So that's what structural analysts focus on. So, yeah, it's it's a very interesting field. Um, it can be a bit challenging mm-hmm. when you factor in all the engineering that has to go into this vehicle and how safe you need to make sure that it is. Right. It's also challenging because you're factoring a lot of human factors, the people that are using them, and finally regulation. So all the airports that planes fly into have rules about how big they can be, how low to the ground your wing can sit, and things like that. Right. So yeah, it's it's interesting when you 
figure out when you get into this and you figure out just everything that goes into designing and building a plane. Yeah, that's good to know because I am one of those people who are always very anxious when it, it comes to flying. So, <laughs> so when you're talking about it, it sounds like, hey, you shouldn't worry too much about it because there are a lot of people working behind the scene on how it should flow in the air and how it should balance so that, you know, it doesn't fall, right? Absolutely. So people keep saying, and I know that, you know, once it's an inherent fear, it's hard to overcome. Mm -hmm. But flying is the safest mode of transportation. In engineering, everything that you build has a factor of safety. So, you know, rest assured, there are a lot of things that go into making sure that planes are safe or air travel. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, um, the regulation around air travel, again, is really stringent. Like you're not just going to put a plane out there that does not pass certain tests. So every plane that has been approved for flight has gone through vigorous testing. They've tested things, a lot of things that you don't even think about on a daily basis. For right. example, they've made sure that a plane can travel through a hailstorm by throwing ice through its engine. Mm -hmm. They've made sure that if a plane gets in contact with a flock of birds, the engines will be able to handle it. Right. You know, and a lot of things that you don't think about. They've made sure that certain temperatures, the engine blades and, and the rest of the plane will be able to withstand. So yeah, a lot of testing goes into the process into the process and concept. what about turbulence yeah turbulence as well right so right. turbulence hill <laughs> hill uh volcanic ash right right of things wow. they're part of the process so yeah that's, that's that's very good that's good to know so why did you choose that area of uh, engineering you know i stumbled on aerospace engineering sort of by accident right mm -hmm. so when i was younger i wanted to be a medical doctor right and but when I got to high school, I watched an operation, like a surgery, and I decided that I wasn't going to be able to do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, now I realize that not all medical doctors do surgeries, and I guess I could have picked something that was less intimidating in that way or less gross. Sorry to the doctors who are listening. But I also didn't really like biology that much, right? That's the one science-inclined subject that I struggled the most with. Mm -hmm. I had... I guess, a better aptitude for physics and math. And so when I got to high school, this, my second, the last but one year of my high school career, I decided that I was going to look into doing engineering instead. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't sure exactly what to do. Right. And so by chance, one day, um, you're from Cameroon, so you know 11 February is Youth Day. Mm -hmm, it is. So one day, we, uh, I went to a Youth Day activity, which was some sort of career event mm -hmm. where... They brought someone in to talk about different career paths. Right. And somehow he mentioned aerospace engineering. It was just in passing, but it caught my attention. And when I got home, I looked up more information about it and it sounded interesting. Mm -hmm. And so I started to look into doing that as a career. So you grew up in Cameroon and then uh, you attended boarding school there. How did that contribute also in you becoming uh, an aerospace engineer? Yeah, um, I would say that I went to that event from my boarding school, right? So it was a chance occurrence that that particular week they picked a group of us to go to that event. Right. I, I would also say that going to that school sort of allowed me to have confidence in certain aspects. Right. So I went to an all-girls boarding school, and I'm not advocating for everybody to <laughs> go to all-girls schools. Mm -hmm. But I think... Very early on, I was able to develop confidence in my ability to do things that I hadn't done before. And so it allowed me to dream 
wider than the things that I'd already seen. You know, right. like aerospace engineering is not something that you hear about on a regular basis in Cameroon. But hearing about it up front did not necessarily scare or intimidate me to the point where I thought that was not an alternative option for me mm-hmm. so that's one way in which that and really my upbringing like my parents and the way that they raised us allowed me to dream beyond the things that were readily available okay also Cameroon has a really I, I would say strong physics and math background in that way like mm-hmm. the curriculum is a little bit tougher than here I right. would say at the secondary and high school level so I had very good mathematical skills and physics skills by the time I came to the U.S., so that was really helpful. But the one thing that I found that I filled in, well, there are two things. The first one of which would be computer programming, mm-hmm. which ended up being a really important piece of my education, was something that I had zero exposure to coming from Cameroon and coming from the particular school that I went to. Right. And also... Um, just innovation and like creative thinking. I feel that the education system, the educational system in Cameroon is a little bit limited in that way. It's, it's more roads. It's more, you know, you learn how things are done. There's not that much room for questioning. Yeah. Right. For questioning and for coming up with your own solutions. So I think that's one thing that we lack that, you know, I had to build as I went further in my studies. Yeah. That's interesting because I had a cousin. She uh, came from Cameroon straight to do computer science and she really mm-hmm. struggled because back in Cameroon, they didn't have the background, they didn't have the teaching and the practice. Yeah. And she really struggled with uh, computer science. Yeah, I can imagine that the transition would be hard for someone who is doing computer science because all your class, well, not all your classes, but quite a few of them very early on would need you to have, you know, would would need you to do computer programming. Mm -hmm. I've tried to make it a little bit better for the people that come after me by starting a computer programming club at the school I went to, but it's, you know, hopefully it would make a difference for the girls at that school, but it then raises the question about everybody else and people transitioning into this into these careers don't ha- that don't have any exposure. Mm-hmm. So I went back about four years ago and set up a computer programming club for students that were interested in learning programming as a skill. Mm-hmm. It really, we're teaching ba- the basics, like just exposing students to what computer programming is, what it can buy you, and then teaching them the basics of computer programming so they would learn a little bit about how to program. And the hope is that for students who are interested and who want to follow um, careers in that area or want to start up businesses in that area, they'll be able to build on that and, you know, become experts. But it's nice to have the exposure so that when you show up to a place where you are going to face that or the need for you to have that skill, you're not completely flabbergasted the way that I was. Because I literally showed up to college and I went to my first programming class and the other students were, you know, going on and programming and I'm there trying to log in and I'm like, why are we doing this? (laughs) Somebody said, they said, okay, so type this, 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 and then put hello world. And so you're trying to write a script that will print hello world on your screen. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I'm like, what's the point? What's the purpose? So I think the exposure really like opens people's minds, first of all, to what different kind of careers are available out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it allows them to start at a higher level than just complete ignorance where I started. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So just to make sure I'm clear on this, the first degree you started in the U.S. was computer science? No, it was aerospace engineering. But aerospace engineering 
one of the requirements for my degree was a computer programming class, which I had to take my first semester of college. Okay. So after graduating from high school, you moved to the U.S. to start college. You must have been really young, right? I was. I was 17. Oh, wow. How was that like? You know, I have, I was lucky in that I have quite a bit of support in the U.S. My mom's siblings live here. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have to do the transition all by myself. So I moved here and my uncle and aunt helped me move to college and helped me get settled in and all of that. So that transition wasn't super tough. I think what was really hard for me or the, the main challenges I faced in college in the U.S. were the cost of everything. Right. Like everything was so expensive. <laughs> like college was ridiculous amounts of money. Food was expensive. Everything was so super expensive. Right. So on the day that I finished, I paid the last amount of money I had to pay to Florida Tech where I went to college. Mm -hmm. I called my mother and I was like, we're done. We did it. Like <laughs> I wasn't concerned about the academics because honestly the, the academic part of college really worked worked out pretty well for me like I, I didn't find it to be too challenging grad school is another story right but college was you know pretty straightforward except for that money thing so that was the biggest struggle for me yeah and then I also happened to go to a college that had like 25 percent of us were international students mm -hmm. you know from all different parts of the world right so I didn't feel as left out as I would have otherwise. If anything, I had to deal with that when I moved to Columbus to go to Ohio State in grad school. Right. Um, so that was that was a different experience. But yeah, the biggest thing in college for me was was the funding. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because uh, when you mentioned how expensive everything was, is that like you were converting everything in uh, France CFA? Well, that, but I was also just based on the money I had. Right. You know? Yeah, no, that's true. It's just, uh, I remember I have a friend, she always tried to convert when she first moved to the U.S. Here. Whatever thing she wants to buy, she will convert it in French paper. She said, this is too much money. I'm not buying this. I'm like, well, you're not going to find cheaper than that. <laughs> I know. I was telling my sister the other day when I moved here, my first semester, I stayed on campus and mm -hmm. I was obliged to have a meal plan. And so, you know, we bought this meal plan, which was unlimited. So I could go to the cafeteria and eat whenever. Right. And I sat and I did the math. I did a calculation. I was like, okay, so we're paying this amount of money for this number of days. Every day I'm supposed to spend this amount of money in food. Right. So let's convert $10 to Cameroon money. That has 5,000 francs. Uh -huh. So I have to eat 5,000 5, francs worth of food. I ate so much food my first semester. <laughs> By the end of my first year in college, I probably put on like 20 pounds. That's so, yeah. funny. That's yeah. money thing. Uh -huh. But yeah, but outside of that too, like just paying for my tuition and paying for accommodation and all of that was 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 a challenge yeah, for all course. four years of my degree. It was mm -hmm. tough as an F1 student. I couldn't just, I, I was very limited in what I could do as work. Right. Ended up finding, you know, opportunities. I became a resident assistant. I started tutoring other students mm -hmm. to raise money. So I eventually got by but yeah that was the biggest challenge in right. college okay and this is uh, the florida institute of technology yes was that your first choice or it's just one of the colleges that you applied to uh i applied to a bunch of places i ended up going to florida tech because of its proximity to nasa so fit is about 45 minutes from cape canaveral which right. is where they have a lot of the shuttle launches 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I figured that it would be nice to be close to there for the sake of my career after college. Like I was always looking forward, right? So right. sometimes you have to be strategic. It's not enough for you to go to school and get good grades. You also need to build a network. So by being in the area, it was easier for me to network with people to have exposure because when we had career fairs, those are the people that would come to school. Mm-hmm. Now, I ended up realizing that being that I was international, it was going to be hard anyway to get into aerospace because everything is so um, defense related and needs you to be a citizen in order to get a clearance. Right. But still, I think it was a good idea for me to go to school in that area because, again, it exposed me to certain opportunities and to get a better idea of the companies in the industry. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's definitely true because, you know, you want to be thinking forward and you also want to be very strategic in terms of where you want to go to school and where you want to ultimately work. Absolutely. Right. So did you go straight from... uh, college to graduate school or why was there any transition yes i did i went straight from fit to um ohio state for graduate school i think that worked for me because of my particular background mm-hmm. because of the, the kind of responsibilities that i knew that i was going to have at a particular position in life stage in life right but a lot of people do it in a way that they stop when you finish your first degree you go get a job mm-hmm. and then um, go to graduate school okay. and sometimes your job will sponsor your education yeah. but for me I think it worked out better that I went straight from undergrad okay so now you're leaving uh, Florida to go to Ohio and then you have to come back to NASA as a fellow is that NASA in Florida or somewhere else um, it was NASA in Ohio they have a research center in mm-hmm. Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. And that's where I went, the Glenn Research Center. So I went there as a summer fellow, and I worked while I was there for that location. Um, those internships and, like, summer fellowships were really helpful in graduate school, first of all, to give me a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> because the graduate student stipend was, you know, really small. I mean, it was great to go to school for free, but... Um, a PhD really is a full-time job, but the stipend was quite small, and it's just the case for all graduate students. I'm right. going to start. I'm going to start the proposition that they raise the money that they pay graduate students. <laughs> but, I agree. Uh, but yeah, but having those those summer breaks and going away was really helpful because first it was a nice break from you know just having your head buried in this group of work that you started doing mm-hmm. um, and then the money was nice and then it also helped me for my resume because when I then finished school and started to apply for jobs mm-hmm. people knew that I had some work experience and were more willing to give me a chance so yeah that was helpful I'm glad I was able to work there at NASA but also at the Air Force Research Lab in Dayton while I was in school to to get that exposure right right that, yeah that's true because uh, internship is very important uh, mm-hmm. if uh, you are in grad school and you went straight from college to grad school and you don't find time for internship you're going to be to be having some challenges at the end when it's time to look for a job right Yes, exactly. Because, you know, when you get out of the PhD, companies will hire you at a higher level. Mm-hmm. But that also comes with some more responsibility, right? So they're expecting that you don't need as much oversight, which technically you should be okay. But then also it's nice to see that you've had some work experience and you've worked in like the 
corporate culture and you know your way around certain things so yeah that was good to have i'm glad that my advisor allowed us to do that because some phd advisors won't let you do that they want you to work on your phd research all year through the summer oh wow but it was that he allowed us to to do that so yeah mm-hmm. i think he made so much of a difference for us in that way at yeah least definitely yeah, yeah definitely especially if you're not planning on working as a professor at the end if you want to be in the corporate world, the experience is definitely useful. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I know NASA is a big name, right? What was the experience yeah. like? What was it like working there? For me, it was a great experience, but it also taught me that I didn't want to do that when I was done with school. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they do a lot of good work there, but at this stage in my career, I didn't want to go and do like a government job because the pay is lower. I think the benefits are better, but you know, industry paid better. Mm-hmm. And I was also trying to do work that was more applied. So industry was going to be a better um, opportunity for me. But all of that being said, they do a lot of great research and, and science work at NASA. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the best places to go to do work that is going to benefit all of us. Right. So, yeah, right. They, they do they do quite a bit of interesting yeah. stuff over there. Yeah, that's so true. When you look at Elon Musk and his project, SpaceX, you know yeah. you can tell that in so little time they put so much effort in building some of their falcon x's and others and then you know you look at nasa they they're doing so much great work but sometimes yeah. with the government it takes longer to it do some certain time. things whereas the experience you get from the private sector is definitely helpful yeah so i want to put a caveat on that because you okay. know both sides um, the reason that SpaceX is able to do those turnarounds so quickly is also because there's a lot of knowledge that is being transferred, right? So mm-hmm. uh, they, they would hire people that maybe had worked for NASA and already know how these things work. Or even if they're people, not all of them did, but the science is the same, the physics is the same. And because NASA has spent time to learn all of this, then it's easier for them to do what they do. Okay. But... Also, the point that you make is excellent point. Right now, space is getting commercial in certain aspects, and it's better for everyone because it's much cheaper to do on that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rules are a little bit different. <laughs> so there's quite a bit of a quicker turnaround. Yeah, it's impressive when you see what they do compared to how much money it would take NASA to do the same thing that SpaceX does on their budget. So, yeah, I think you, you make an excellent point. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that, you know, there's also value in having a government branch that did all of this initially because really, it's really hard to get the private sector to do fundamental research work, mm-hmm. right? They right. don't want to go and figure out why this thing works like this and how it works like this. But once you know why and how it works, they will use the knowledge. So in a way, to get space started, you needed a government agency that was going to go and do all of this. Mm-hmm. And then now the private sector can use that knowledge. Right. So, it's more like yeah. getting the ground ready for the private sector to start using. Precisely, yeah. Right. And also in the private sector, they take risk, you know, that the government oh, doesn't yeah. take much. That's not, cannot afford to, yep. Right, right. So after your PhD program, did you have any challenges finding job as a, an aerospace engineer? I luckily did not, right? But mm-hmm. that's because I think um, by the time I got to the end, I had become a citizen. And right. 
I had quite a bit of work experience. So I, I like to put that caveat there because I don't just want to say, yeah, it was super easy for me to get a job <laughs> after my PhD. Right. It could have been more difficult than it was. I also was very flexible about what I wanted to do mm-hmm. after that. So I wanted to stay in the aerospace industry at that particular point in my career. But I was going away from fundamental research. So it opened up a lot of of avenues for me to work. Some people finish from their PhD and they want to stay fundamental, but they also want to stay in the particular area that they researched. In that case, it can be a bit harder because, you know, when you're doing a PhD, it's about how deep you can go. Right. And so you become an expert in this one little thing. In that way, then if you're trying to stay in that area, it kind of limits the opportunities that you have. Right. But I think I was looking for somewhere where I could contribute at, at a higher level, become part of a good team. And so I was less restricted in that way. I was open to anything that would tie in generally with my background, you know, something that I would be able to contribute upfront from the first day, you know, I'd have the skills to be good at my job. Um, and some way that the people were good release is what I was looking for. Um, the other thing is I mentioned that by that time I'd become a citizen because in the aerospace industry, you kind of need to be a citizen because people want to hire you. They would like for you to be able to get a clearance if you needed to, like if you're right. working on a project that needed you to have a security clearance. They want to make sure that most of the people that they hire, especially to do the technical work have the ability to get that and the other for you to get a clearance you need to be a u.s citizen what would you say are the most rewarding aspect of your work um the first one would be you know just being able to contribute to the, the bigger thing mm-hmm. so as i pointed out earlier it's really kind of a joint effort is everybody working together and everybody doing a little piece of it to build the product Mm-hmm. So it's always nice to see how I can contribute to that process, how I influence the design, because every once in a while I'll do my analysis and come back and say, oh, I don't think that the way this thing is designed is going to work over the period that we want it to. Mm-hmm. I think that we should do it this other way and make suggestions to how we adapt the design. So it's nice to be able to influence the design in that way. Okay. Um, and then I think the other thing is really, it's really less about the work, but about the position that I find myself in right now. I, I, I sit at the intersection of a lot of different things. And I think that just being where I am and being where I am, I'm able to show that this is possible. Also, something that I find rewarding about the place I'm at now right, is right. where I can talk to other immigrant children, but also other young women or black children in America and say, look, I know that this is not typical for us, which I know because I work in that space and I don't see a lot of us there. Right. But, you know, this is something that you might want to consider doing if this is what you're interested in. It's possible. And this is how to do it. So that's something that I think is really adds a lot of value to what I do. That's so true. And working and living overseas, was that always your plan? Uh, not really, no. Um, I planned to finish high school and apply to CUSE, which is the medical school in Yaoundé in right. Cameroon. Uh, become a doctor and work as a doctor. But as I said, as I got the closer to graduating from high school, I decided that I didn't want to do that. And so I started looking for other alternatives and mm-hmm. aerospace engineering tumbled into my lap, right. which I couldn't do in Cameroon. So at that point, I started trying to find other avenues. Now, luckily, like I said, I have a lot of support on this side and um, it made my transition a whole lot easier than it would have been otherwise. 
so I happened to be blessed in that way and you know it worked out but no it wasn't always my goal to right come. what advice would you give to your young self I have to think about this because I think my young self was a lot more introspective than I am right now oh really <laughs> I want to know more about that <laughs> You know, I think the advice I would give my younger self is, is a lot more about soft skills, right? Mm -hmm. Less about ambition and less about really the technical skills, because I think I did pretty well at that stage in life. But to my younger self would be to be more empathetic to people. Right. Um, to be more, you know, see things from other people's perspectives, because I think that the direction in which the world is going, a lot of people are talking about this now is some of the skills that we have now, well, some of the work that we do now is going to get automated and some of what you need to stay relevant and to be able to do what the robots cannot take over is really the things that make us human. Mm -hmm. um, things like empathy, like I said, high emotional intelligence, right? Um, really ways to become a leader and find ways to bring out the best in the people that you're leading. So I think at, at that stage in my life, I was pretty driven. I was very hardworking. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I would, I needed really a push in that direction. Right. right. Um, so yeah, it would be to be more, more inclusive, to be warmer. That's, that's true. I, I remember uh, my, the conversation I had earlier with uh, one of our guests, Elizabeth Hassan. She yeah. mentions how family importance and friendship, right? Yeah. Creating that network because they are, you are creating a foundation for support. Yeah. And I'm glad that you bring that up too because we're always so focused on where yeah. we're going and what we want to do that we forget about some of the very soft skills that are going to be helpful in the process or later yeah. on in life. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think at this stage, I that's that's really what you know I work on. Mm -hmm. I'm more intentional about because there's a group of people that already have the drive and already have the ambition and are willing to do the work to get to where they're trying to go. But along the way, we need to remember that we're all in this together and you know be able to pull up each other. And um, yeah. Right, yeah. right. One question I can't stop myself from asking you is this. Are you a fan right. of what Elon Musk does with SpaceX? Yes, <laughs> but I have Tesla shares. Okay. And he's costing me money. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, but yeah, I, I think, you, you know, he's an absolute genius. I don't know what kind of person he takes to say, I'm going to start a space company. Right. Um, so I think he's he's done really well. Mm -hmm. They've learned very well from the mistakes that they made that they've made along the way. Right. But you can see that they've really corrected for them um, very quickly. I, yeah. I like what he does enough that I applied to go work there. They didn't accept me. Right. It's not um, too late. <laughs> he will be listening. He's he's originally from South Africa, so uh... this is true. Yeah. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, if, if Elon Musk is listening, I want to come and work for Tesla now because these days my interests align more with what Tesla's, you know, goal is, solar energy and, and all of that. Right. But, but yeah, I, I think he's, you know, impactful. he's definitely a, a brilliant man. He's yeah. one of the people who just breaks all the rules. Right. They inspire. To, yeah, to, to really lead innovation in, in this time. So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of props to him. 
Yeah. Right. That, yeah. Yeah. Of course. A second that. This is one question that we ask all our guests. So, uh-huh. how do you define success, and do you consider yourself successful today? I, I would say success is being able to afford some of the basic things that we all need without mm-hmm. stressing too much. Right. And reaching a place where you're reasonably content with your life, right? I say reasonably because I personally think that human beings can just never be satisfied. Exactly. <laughs> we're always striving. We're always reaching for something. So it's really a combination of, of internal, but also an external um, of, of what's available to you, but also your attitude towards everything. So, yeah, I would say that I am successful because I'm at a place where I'm able to afford my needs without so much stress. Uh, I'm able to, in a way, provide for some of the people that I love and make their lives easier. Um, so that really, I think, you know, is a big part of why I consider myself successful. Right. And because I've been able to reach a lot of the milestones that I've set for myself pretty early on, which I think allows me to be able to set new goals and try to get to new places that I didn't ever dream of, of reaching. I think I would also say that I'm successful because I've been able to get to a place where I, like you said, I didn't think that I would, I couldn't even imagine upfront, but also that provides a touch and like opens the way for other people without me realizing it. Like I don't, no one so people reach out and say oh you know this is what i'm trying to do what would you recommend and all of that mm-hmm. so in, in a way being able to be that flashlight is a mark of success in my in my opinion yeah great now yeah yeah no thanks for sharing that that's very true because uh that's a great definition of success uh, from your perspective and it really resonates with mine too so uh yeah that's uh, that's that's very good do you have anything else you'd like to add? Because we're wrapping up. Uh, no, I do not. Just to say, you know, thank you guys for doing this. I think there's a lot of value in starting and having these conversations and having this information out, out there. I think we don't realize how much value there is until you see how people use it. So, you know, big up to you and Laura for starting this and and continuing with it so i hope you guys continue to have more people on and talk about these things some of us will learn a lot of us are going to eventually try to make career switches and you in particular have you know gone have really mended your way around so maybe right there's a lot of value in, in listening to the path that people have traveled so that tomorrow when i decide that i've had enough of aerospace and defense <laughs> i know where to go right and it's been hard I know who to ask about switching industries. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. I also like to thank our audience for listening today. I hope you liked the conversation. If you did, please sign up and share it so that others can find us. And don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Thank you.